Hello, and welcome to Creative Writing Out Loud, your place to hear the latest fiction and poetry from America's creative writers. I'm your host, Alexander Smith. CWO is edited and produced by yours truly, and new episodes are released every Tuesday. Stay updated on our Facebook page and by visiting creativewritingoutloud.com. Stay tuned. On today's episode of Creative Writing Out Loud, you'll be listening to Poems from Learning Curve and Days of Destruction by Gary Beck. Today is our special Veterans Day episode. Gary Beck has spent most of his adult life as a theater director and as an art dealer. He has 11 published chapbooks and three more accepted for publication. A sampling of his poetry collections include Days of Destruction by Sky Press, Expectations, Rogue Scholars Press. His novels include Extreme Change, Cogwheel Press, and Flawed Connections, Black Rose Writing. Call to Valor will be published by Gnome on Pigs Productions. His original plays and translations of Moliere, Aristophanes, and Sophocles have been produced off-Broadway. His poetry, fiction, and essays have appeared in hundreds of literary magazines. He currently lives in New York City. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get started. Poetry from Learning Curve and Days of Destruction by Gary Beck. Copyright 2016. Homeless. I served my country two years in Iraq, four in Afghanistan. Then I came home to a foreign land where I didn't fit in. I had lots of problems from years of fear and tension, expecting ambushes, roadside bombs, allies turning on us. Yes, I was disturbed. They glibly called it post-traumatic stress disorder. That doesn't make it better to know it has a name. I went to the VA hospital. They didn't seem to care. They gave me an appointment to see a doctor in nine months. I told them my headaches were getting worse, but the indifferent nurse wouldn't give me anything. I couldn't go home. My family doesn't want me. I went to a shelter one night. It was more dangerous than sleeping on cardboard on the sidewalk. I don't know what I'll do. Part of me just hopes I won't flip out and hurt someone. Homeless, too. I don't remember where I'm going. I'm not even sure if I had some place to go. Ever since my last stay at Bellevue, the meds they gave me confused me even more. I can tell by all the people in the street it's lunchtime. I guess I'll go to Bryant Park and see what I can scrounge from the trash cans. Those rich folk always throw away good food. Homeless, three. It rained for three days. No one ate lunch in Bryant Park, so they didn't throw away leftovers in the trash cans. I couldn't find a dry spot to sleep at night and my cardboard bed got soaked, so I threw it away. Maybe if I'm lucky, I'll find a dry doorway where no one will bother me, but I've never been lucky. If it rains for 40 days and 40 nights, I'll probably drown, but so will everyone else. Homeless, four. I stand forlornly at the entrance to the park. 
rattling my paper cup in the hope that passers-by will help me out with some spare change. I don't threaten anyone and wait there patiently, expecting nothing. Most people in a hurry, looking through me, making me wonder if I still exist. Homeless 5 Lunchtime in Bryant Park is the best time to go through trash cans and retrieve cans and bottles for redemption, five cents each. There's always leftover food and liquid in the bottles, so I manage to eat as long as it's nice out. For when it rains, people stay indoors and I can't find anything. Homeless, six. I know I smell. I may be on the street, but I'm not stupid. Regular people have no idea how hard it is to grab a shower. The doc at the VA told me to take my meds and go to a shelter. I couldn't sleep when I took the meds. When I went to the shelter, they beat and robbed me. So I don't have a choice and I live on the street. Sometimes I think about my rifle. If I had it now, I'd visit the VA and visit the shelter. So all I can think about is the way it used to be before I went to Iraq. Homeless 7 One wheel is broken on my shopping cart and I can't fix it. The guys at the supermarket are real watchful these days so I can't swipe another one. Maybe I can snag one of those postal carts with the cloth sides so no one can see what's inside. Homeless 8 They robbed my cans for the second time in a week. I hustled my ass off getting those cans and got nothing for it. At least they didn't beat me. Maybe I'll get me a knife and cut them good if they try to rob me again. Poems in Days of Destruction Arms Race Stealth technology will make a mockery of crime detection and civil insurrection. Stealth tanks muffle clanks, smart bombs and comms. Anti-missile missiles seldom send epistles. Helicopter gunships give foes fat lips. Laser aiming is quite maiming. G.I. Joe still don't know. Empire we stood upon the shores of ruin and watched the risk-laden ships boldly sail the masterless seas and trembled, remembering the plenty, the promise of Pax Americana with the entire world agrip away, as we sagely waited to snatch future victory from present defeat and avoided that flex of strength that always alarms a narrowed world. Isolated Armies Morning mist rises from Valley Forge, obscuring history. Cars rush past me as I stand thumb extended, waiting for a ride west. I vision colonial soldiers of long-ago endurance, staining the snow with bloody footprints. I remember their struggles, cold, tired, hungry, frightened, Abandoned by Congress, as so many of our armies have been abandoned by Congress, 
as they sacrifice for others. Ancient ghosts dissolve into the consuming fog of time past, and a distant drum taps tomorrows. A car stops. I get in. We drive away. Behind us dwindles consecration. Parade rest. After the battle is over, the soldiers return to their barracks, and we organize a homecoming parade that cost millions of dollars to greet our splendid warriors who did their job properly and killed our enemies. Then there are our leaders who boldly snatched billions and sent our armies abroad and enforced economic sanctions in tiny totalitarian kingdoms while millions of our people petitioned our government in vain for desperately needed assistance. Instead of expensively presenting the legions in their splendor, we should have an honor guard for each branch of the service proudly bear the flag up Broadway, slogging through the ticker tape to our cheers and gratitude. And we'll use the money saved in judicious investments for the future of our children. Tirawa. I think of bloody Tirawa, a wasteful battle of blunders, where the juice of youth dyed the sea. The bombs brutalized the shore, the processional of the dead, ours and theirs inseparable, in an obscuring history that obliterated cause and claim, leaving a littered atoll, hosting dank, decaying jungle, forever concealing a bitter fight on land, sea, air, the old men's whim, paid with patriotic soldiers' pain that now is almost forgotten. Truce in Iraq. The invasion is over. The last battle has ended, and our victorious forces have prevailed. The fears of disaster have disappeared, and the clamors of protest are silent. Those who were expected to perish, celebrated in their foxholes. Empty beer cans piled higher than the heap of the dead. The shock of combat has faded. Misgivings have departed faster than changes in public opinion. Except the unpleasant question. Why did we spend so much to kill so many with such little concern when we're going to do it again? The Conquest of Somalia Mogadishu, Mogadishu, you have almost been forgotten by our leaders who sent soldiers seeking glorious victories, to patrol your poor, dusty streets and tremble in the rains of evening from tropical disease or fear, dazed by one more unclear mission, dumped on our obedient troops, ordered to build a quick triumph so D.C. strutters and prancers could boast their boasts and brag their brags that the administration kicked ass. We saw action, Mogadishu, but once again we sailed away on sullen ships that knew defeat. Movers and fixers surrendered. They always do when things get tough, because they didn't know how to capture the gangster, tyrant, warlord, thug, the uncooperative foe who would not let the boys and girls of Washington, D.C. look good. 
So we landed on your beaches, crammed with the waiting media, equipped with cameras, mics, lights, greeting our surprise invasion. We couldn't turn back with CNN directing us to storm ashore, their instant satellite transmission displaying the troops' deployment. That only took six weeks longer than the troops in the Crimean War. To a hundred million viewers watching our embarrassed leaders, caught once again with their plans down, who chose to sacrifice the lives of GIs who followed orders rather than admit they were wrong. So the troops were ordered ashore, fought off media resistance, refusing to land one more time to give viewers better footage, and took minimal casualties from the international press. We marched without the faintest clue where the hell Mogadishu was, but we lucked out, for CNN cut to its commercial break and missed our heroic capture of the Somalian dispatcher of the local cab company, who not only took the shortcut, but charged us out of season rates. Every foreign correspondent, even the cub from the Tribune, and 100 million viewers, through the courtesy of CNN, knew the expedition arrived. But there wasn't a single link on the rusty chain of command with common sense enough to say, I'm sorry, sir, they know we're here. Even General What's-His-Name, who we were supposed to arrest, or was it bomb or execute, the orders never were quite clear, had concessionaries on the beach selling souvenirs to the troops. But we couldn't belay the soldiers in beautiful beachfront hotels, even though it's out of season and they offered us tourist rates, without orders from a higher up. Traditional rooters who loved frequent failures of the U.S. of A. chuckled from hooches, tents, shanties, snickering at our willing troops, marching to a police action, pursued by hordes of at-risk youth demanding the usual pay. The American subsidies, gum, chocolate, cigarettes, and coke, promising to return their best wares, shoe shines, virgin sisters, great dope, the usual native exchange. Now, Warrior Bill took D.C., just promoted from CIC of the Arkansas National Guard, ready for foreign adventure, grasped the big picture at a glance, inflated for authority, reddened with exasperation glistening with anticipation, gained from motel campaigns at the head of his state troopers, bellowed with combat assurance to the combined wisdom of D.C. What the hell do we do now, huh? Both Sonorius and Clamorous orated at length from the floor, and Sonorius requested peace, but Clamorous demanded war. So Bill and Hill went up the hill to fetch some help from Congress, but Bill fell down and broke his crown and Hill came tumbling after. There we were deployed for battle, with tribesmen to the left of us, and tribesmen to the right of us, and the UN all around us. CNN reporters were poised to describe to the world our advance along the boulevard of broken dreams. As we entered a new city that sure wasn't American, so all the destruction was foreign. Now that doesn't mean we believe that underdeveloped nations need extensive devastation before getting reconstruction. But if you want us to rebuild, we first have to blow everything up. With diverse methodologies that assault with technologies, the selection is enormous, without long lines or other fuss. 
We offer smart bombs, laser bombs, A-bombs, H-bombs, cluster bombs, fragmentation bombs, Broadway bombs, racial discrimination bombs, mortar bombs, and pestle bombs, even ultimate doomsday bombs. There are bombs that make you happy. There are bombs that make you wheeze. There are bombs that make you grouchy. There are bombs that make you sneeze. There is nothing quite like a bomb. Nothing that can compare with it. Nothing that even competes with it. Its explosion is detonous. So we were tortured by the CCs, mutilated by mosquitoes, made delirious with desire, polluted and prostituted. Then we were driven mad by you, our treacherous Mogadishu. Welcome back. You've been listening to Learning Curve and Poems from Days of Destruction by Gary Beck. We hope you've enjoyed it. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a five-star review on iTunes or the social media platform of your choice. If you are not already a subscriber to our mailing list, visit creativewritingoutloud.com to join. Stay informed and get access to special subscriber-only opportunities. Are you a writer or poet? Want your work featured on the podcast? Send your submission to info at creativewritingoutloud.com. Music is by Yellowchair. This podcast is copyrighted 2016. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for more creative writing.